Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. A lot of goodness on tap for you this week, as always. Joining me, as usual, he is the Bucky to my Captain America. You may know him from NXT, Mr. Vic Joseph. Vic, what's the good word, my friend? Well, my good word is I'm sitting here with you on another lovely week of After the Bell, and I'm really excited about this week. We had a huge week on NXT earlier this uh, earlier this week on Tuesday, and we're getting ready for TakeOver in your house. So there's a lot of goodness in my world when it comes to what we do love at the end of the day, which is professional wrestling. No doubt. A lot of goodness headed your way via the WWE universe. But we're not going to deal in reality today, Vic. We're going to do something different. The last few weeks, we have built our personal Mount Rushmore's of memorable WWE moments. It's a fool's errand, an impossible task, but we did our best to come up with four. We each had some pretty solid suggestions. We also got a lot of uh, feedback from the listeners who also had great answers. Uh, No wrong answers in this one. What meant the most to you? If you haven't checked it out, head back in the archives. You can get all those now. Continue to fill the ATB mailbag. Use the hashtag AskATB, A-S-K-A-T-B. We're going to compile some of the best questions you guys are sending our way and put them all together in a future episode of the greatest sports entertainment podcast on earth. But as I mentioned, we're not here to talk about reality today. We're going to revise history, a little what if, if you will, because Vic, you can attest anybody who has ever spent any significant time in this business. Once the show ends, everybody hops in the car and gets ready to the next town. We do what in the business we refer to as rebooking the territory, right? (laughs) We're all experts. We think we all have different suggestions as to how things should have gone, how I would have done things, how you would have done things. And let's be honest, there are a few better ways to pass the time on a long drive from L.A. to Vegas than rebooking the territory. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether it's Raw, whether it's SmackDown, whether it's NXT. We always get in the car and we go, well, what? What if they did this? Or what if Seg 1 was this? Or Seg 3 was this? Or this went into... So you're 100% right. And that's why I'm really excited about... Uh, well, at least for this first one. Let's see how it goes before we really get too deep into it. And full disclosure, this was Vic's idea. So if it sucks, um, he's fired. Oh, that's basically well, that's, that's that's the deal we worked out here. So this might be the last time Vic is ever on the show. Uh, I will be back whether you like it or not. Well, Mount Rushmore likely. was kind of mine along with Vic, Johnny Vic, Russo, listen, but I refer to you worked. as my Bucky. Okay, that's as nice as today gets. Okay, fair enough. I'll take it. We're gonna step down from the bully pulpit this week, and we are gonna put our fan hats back on because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're laughing like a hyena at the term <laughs> bully pulpit. That's such a funny word to me. I've never heard it before. It's two words, it. and it's very accurate. I, I just like Google bully. it. Bully, bully, bully. But I've been, <laughs> I've been as nice as I'm gonna be to you, Vic, because now we get to argue like fans do. Okay, we're at the end of the day. Probably the biggest wrestling fans in the world because we were insane enough to follow it as a career. And here we are. But Vic, you and I can't handle this task alone. It is monstrous. We are going to look back at what if the Montreal screw job, one of the most controversial occurrences in the history of the business, never really happened. 
Vic, are you ready? Was that a DX pun that you just made, or did you even make, to make me? It was do completely that? unintentional. Oh, That's how okay. hardwired my brain is to be a fan today. But as I mentioned, we can't do this alone. We need a little help along the way. So we have recruited one of our producers, Mr. Alex Metz. Alex is a pro wrestling sports entertainment aficionado, has worked in the radio business for many moons. You've heard his voice on In or Out. So, Alex, thanks for joining the party. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm excited to uh, rebook the uh, territory, as you say. No doubt about it. And of course, another man whose voice may sound familiar. You probably know him from the New Day Feel the Power podcast, perhaps one of his many video game streams. He's a video game extraordinaire. And the man was married in a GD Taco Bell, Mr. Dan Reichert. This is all true. Hello. I'm excited for this. We're going to start our uh, E-Fed here. <laughs> E-Fed? Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you, were you ever part of those when you were a kid in the early days? I think I started one on like AOL in probably like 1998, but uh, it seemed like a lot of work and I backed out. I, I hear that. I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly. I actually ran uh, an E-Fed with a friend of mine, and I, I was probably in ninth or 10th grade with our rudimentary knowledge of the business. Uh, and my, what set my E-Fed apart was I, I learned the ability to take a photo from any internet wrestling site of a superstar. The one that always stands out to me is Raven. Mm -hmm. And I had a photo of Raven that I very, very crudely on, um, uh, MS paint would edit. This is pre-Photoshop. Oh, yeah. Photoshop wasn't even a thing yet. So I would like go in there with my little spray paint icon and like change the color of people's gears and then pretend they were totally different people. That was what you got when you signed up for my EFIT. What was the acronym? What was the, the I, promotion? For the life of me could not tell you, Dan. <laughs> it was a short-lived run, but uh, that was my first foray into the promotional end of sports entertainment. See, my MS Paint was the Nintendo 64 games where you could create the characters and yes. make your own promotion and yes. fighters. Yeah. I always remember doing S.A. Rios's gear and changing it into different colors. And for yeah, some reason, yeah. I was always enthralled with the moves he did on the video game. You could make the DX cane, make him green, like all yeah, the rumors oh, said. Like, oh, there's going to be green gear. Add it all. That was a big <laughs> Saturday afternoon in my household. was redoing everyone's gear for the next, you know, two months of what we had written out. Well, as we've established, as we know, if you guys are listening, most likely you are probably too big of a fan of this for your own health, as we all are. But this is going to be fun. This isn't Corey Graves and Vic Joseph telling you why you're wrong and why you should accept what I am feeding you. This is just fun. There are no right or wrong answers here. It's just kind of fun to speculate what would have never happened if the Montreal Screwjob, of course, this is many, many moons ago, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, you know the story. There are a litany of very good documentaries, podcasts, a WWE's own Bruce Pritchard. If you haven't sought out his podcast, he does a very in-depth dive into the Montreal Screwjob. He was there. We're not going to give you any of that. We're not going to give you any facts or knowledge behind the scenes that you can't already find somewhere. Brett's got his version of the truth. Sean has his. Bruce has his. I'm sure the boss will never speak of it again. Uh, but it was it is undoubtedly one of the biggest moments, one of the most pivotal moments in the history of the sports entertainment business. And uh, we're just going to pretend it never happened today. So, Alex, if you would be so kind as to catch all of the ATB faithful up uh, with a little little context, because as our guy Eric Bischoff has taught us, context is king. Absolutely. So we just want to kind of set the table for how we got to the Montreal screw job here. Uh, it all kind of kicked off uh, in March of 1996 at WrestleMania 12. Everybody remembers the big main event there, the Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels for the WWE Championship, which led to Shawn, you know, the, the boy who dream has been realized. Shawn wins the WWE Championship there. Bret takes about six months off after that match. Bret would return in October of 96 after receiving uh, some offers to go to WCW. 
WWE countered those offers with a 20-year contract for Brett, which he would indeed sign. In February of 1997, a special Thursday Raw Thursday uh, episode would have Shawn Michaels relinquishing that WWE championship due to a knee injury. Uh, this would become to known as the Sean loses his smile promo that everybody is very familiar about. If you're not familiar, go back and watch it. This is kind of the beginning of people seeing a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes and behind the curtain, so to speak in professional wrestling in August of 1997 undertaker is now your WWE champion, uh, him and Bret Hart face off in a match where Shawn Michaels is the special guest referee. Uh, Brett would then win the championship in this match after Sean accidentally uh, hits Undertaker with a chair, getting um, Iconic disqualified. Moment. Iconic moment, of course. Uh, but you could see the tension was was back between between Sean and and Brett there in that moment. And leading up to this that moment, there was a litany of other kind of backstage moments where you know there's an infamous story about hair being pulled, fights backstage, you know th- things happening uh, going on at, at Monday Night Raw. So that was a bit of a culmination of where the tension between the two really started to pick up again, and, and also a lot of reality kind of like seeping into things in a way. They got yes. the internet buzzing, like the Sunny Days promo, things like that, where people on the internet were like, "Whoa, wait, we have not seen things like this before." Early days of the internet too. We're talking. Yeah, I was like going to say we, we have rooms. to accentuate. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> earliest days of the internet where this this wasn't all of the information that is readily available. There was no social media. If there was, it was very, very rudimentary. Maybe my, I don't even think MySpace was a oh, thing. Oh, no, yet. you had AIM instant messaging. There you go. Mm-hmm. AIM yep. instant sure. messaging. That was as social as the uh, the internet allowed you to be at the time. Email. You had to compose an email to talk to a friend or a message. Um, so so it's not like the, the world is today, which believe it or not, I'm sure there are people listening to this who... Don't remember those days, but here we are, a couple of old men shaking our fists at the sky, going, back then you had to search for your information. I still have my AOL account that I use as my personal email. <laughs> here's, here's how I obtained my, <laughs> my information when I was a kid. I remember this vividly. I was probably in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that middle school time frame, and my family didn't have the internet. I had one friend who was one of my best friends, luckily, avid WWE fan, and he had the internet. So two or three times a week after school, I would come home. I would pick up my phone that was still attached to the base by a cord. Remember those things? Uh, and I would call my friend Brandon, and he would jump on this website, which I thought long and hard all morning about what the name of the website was. I can't remember it for the life of me. But there was one particular website, and he would just read it to me. And this is sort of as the Monday Night Wars are really heating up and the NWO is a thing and people are jumping and who's going to show up next? And I would call Brandon and I go, all right, dude, what's going on this week? He go, well, this says that the big boss man is going to show up in WCW this week. And sure enough, <laughs> what happened? Brandon was right. You soothsayer, you. Here's your uh, personal Mean Gene hotline. Right, it was. And that was the other thing, Dan. I mean, to bring those up, a blast from the past, there was a semblance. And yes, there were the, the dirt sheets, as we refer to them. There were there were some sort of people trying to do reporting and get that information out. But it was nowhere near as readily available as it is now. You used to have to call 1-900-909-9900. Wow. Uh, I actually remember that better How than my own remember personal. remember that? If you're listening to this podcast, don't dial that number. Yeah, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the Mean Gene hotline, and, and that was how you, if you really cared, you wanted to know the inner workings, and even then you got like a taste. 
They're like, oh, hey, something big is probably going to happen next week because somebody's in trouble. Boom, that's it. Oh, my God, who is it? All speculation. I remember I had the uh, the company's main magazine, but then they also introduced Raw magazine. Right. And that was supposed to be for the, the, like, the hardcore fans where Vic Venom's going to shoot with you on what's happening. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> So uh, you brought up a good point there, Graves, that during this whole time, the reason this sort of boiling underneath the surface stuff was happening between Brett and Sean was because WCW was kicking the WWE's butt every week in the ratings. The NWO was flying and riding high. It was one of the biggest things in the company. So all of this sort of you know, speculation about whether Brett was actually going to leave or not was, was fueling all of this because WCW was about to take, you know, potentially WWE's biggest chip at the time in Bret Hart. So that's what was kind of painting all of this and paving the road for, for the, the potential Montreal screw job to happen. And look at it at face value. If Bret Hart, the, arguably the most iconic WWE superstar left at that time, while still champion, shows up at WCW. And it already happened. Medusa did it with the women's championship. So I understand everybody in WWE being a little gun shy going, oh, we can't let that happen again. Would it have been as catastrophic as they were concerned. I don't know. I don't know if that does it, or is that the final nail in the coffin? Well, think about how iconic of a moment it was when Medusa did that. And that was at a time where, frankly, the women's division in both companies was not really doing a whole lot. Right. And that was still a huge thing. Imagine if Bret Hart with the company's main title does that. That's a whole different ballgame. Well, that is true, too. And it's also to remember at this point in time, when it comes to what you guys are talking about with the internet and stuff, they were filming it all. Brett was for the Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows. So when this was all said and done, you kind of heard that this documentary is coming out after the the screw job happened. And then you're like, okay, now I have to see what all was happening detailed throughout that year. But one thing that we can't forget too, Alex, when you're listening to these dates is this Sean Brett thing goes back to the early 90s as well. It wasn't like it was just, hey, in 96 or 95. I mean, this goes back. I'm talking Rockers Heart Foundation, the the first ladder match. They already main evented a Survivor Series for a championship at one point in the early 90s. So if you're thinking in newer terms, think of the Edge-Orton rivalry that just happened. This is something that played out over a decade to culminate at what was the Montreal Screwjob. To get to the screw job itself, um, so just you remember uh, I mentioned October ninety six, Brett signs that twenty year deal. Right, weeks before Survivor Series ninety seven, so this is November of ninety seven. Um, apparently, there is a meeting where Brett is told that the WWE would not be able to honor his twenty year contract any longer. That financials were rough. That the company was in bad shape. That this, that this, they just couldn't, they couldn't justify the contract anymore. And that's something that I'm sure Alex, you and Dan have spent enough time around the studio. We know enough of the of the OGs that are still walking around here that will verify that was the God's honest truth. WWE was in bad, bad shape. You, you hear the stories that have made it publicly about taking the water coolers out and having to sign out office equipment because everything had become so difficult and tight. That's the truth. And there are, there are plenty of people who are still with the company now who will happily, well, not maybe not happily, but will verify all of those stories. And, and we've, we've been able to learn, uh, pick some, pick some really interesting brains over the last few years. Brett then decides, okay, I'm going to now listen to two offers again from WCW. They're not going to be able to honor my contract. Brett signs a three-year deal uh, with WCW to leave. Uh, and so 
this is where the screw job uh, happens. November 9th, 1997 at Survivor Series, the main event, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels for the WWE Championship. You all know how, how it went down. The sharpshooter is applied and reversed, and then the bell rings without anybody tapping out. Shawn takes the belt. The infamous Bret spits on, on, on Vince, and then all of a sudden... Nobody knows what happens. Brett's trashing the area around around he the ring. He paints out WCW the letters, in the air. <laughs> WCW in the middle of a ring in WWE. And he, at that point, I went, oh my God. I, 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 had, I had had some exposure to, I obviously was learning there was a business side of the sports entertainment business. Uh, but I had never in a million years thought, oh my God, Bret Hart just said WCW in a WWE ring. This is unheard of absolutely insane i think you kind of had to be a fan during that time to realize how big of a deal that was because it right. was like a blood feud between wre and wcw it wasn't just two rival companies like it was cutthroat so this was a huge huge deal and don't forget most people uh or most fans i should say who are watching are not necessarily as as clued in as you were Corey, who had a guy on the side who you would talk to and get all the inside right. information from <laughs> they're saying Oh my gosh, why is Bret Hart spitting on the play-by-play commentator of Monday Night Raw? Nobody knew really that Vince right. was actually the one in charge and pulling all the strings behind the scenes. And that is, I think, Alex, the biggest initial shock as a result of the Montreal screw job. Mr. McMahon was born out of necessity because, like you, like anybody watching, generally speaking, we had no knowledge that Mr. McMahon owned the company. We thought this was the guy that just called the action. What a maneuver. Years and years. Vince was part of the show, but he was the guy in the in the canary yellow sports blazer and just he, he might as well have been Michael Cole or, or yeah. any other commentator that you've ever known throughout history. He was just that guy. But the Montreal Screwjob comes in and all of a sudden the business is thrust into the psyche, the collective psyche of fans around the world. So just to wrap up the timeline there, so um, Sean ends up becoming WWE champion. Vince is able to keep Brett from taking the belt with him to do WCW. Uh, it would be a little over a month before uh, Brett would appear on WCW. He would appear on a December edition of Monday Nitro in 97. Uh, but his most infamous moment after after jumping ship is that December 28th, 1997, WCW Starcade, Sting versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan, where Brett kind of inserts himself as the special impromptu referee at the end of the match. Uh, and that Much would, to the delight of absolutely yes. no one. There's apparently a reason behind it. Brett had a non-compete in his deal that was not up yet, so he couldn't actually compete in any matches. None of that's an indictment on Brett or Sean or anybody not. involved. Yes. It was but just, it would set the tone for what was to come from Brett's WCW run, which would be the uh, ultimately the end of his in-ring career. And ultimately, I think everyone would agree, even Brett himself, it was maybe one of the most colossal disappointments <laughs> in the history of the business. For us that live to speculate, as we are doing now, what would have happened? What wouldn't have happened? What we got was underwhelming, to say the least. It's still weird to me to see footage of him, like, on Nitro. Like, it doesn't he, to feel me, right. is such a WWE guy that, like, just seeing clips of that, it's like, that something's not working here, you know? Right. Yeah, and, and you take it in hindsight to, like, what it is now, and I think Brett has acknowledged this a few times, but he was forgotten. It was like, we all buy new things. Like, you buy a child a toy, and they play for it for one day, and then it, all of a sudden it's underneath a rug. You know, he was the forgotten toy that came into WCW, and it was the old... You know, we got to fit a square into a round hole. It just never, it never fit. And you even saw it watching. My brother was a huge WCW fan and he was like, oh, we got Bret Hart, had the action figures and stuff. And it was kind of like, 
Yeah, it all seems shoehorned. It all seems we're just doing it to do it. It never made any sense. And, and, and again, we know what happened. We know what truly did occur in the wake of the Montreal screw job. And there are a lot better sources than Vic Joseph and Corey Graves Very to true. discuss what actually happened. There are podcasts available. There are documentaries available. I suggest you check them all out. It is still to this day, one of the most fascinating stories of anything that has ever occurred in the business. But today we are talking about what could have happened. What did, what would have happened, what the sports entertainment business might have looked like had there not been a Montreal screw job. And Alex, you sort of teed me up my first massive occurrence that would not have happened without the Montreal screw job would be the emergence of the Mr. McMahon character. Mr. McMahon to me, to a lot of people was the ultimate villain, but he was armed with reality on his side. Like perhaps no bad guy in the history of the business. Mr. McMahon, it is exposed, owns the company. So now the infamous, I didn't screw Brett, Brett screwed Brett. That interaction made Mr. McMahon the most dislikable character in sports entertainment history in that moment because it was real. Because everybody in the world, everybody watching, whether you watch WCW or WWE, you could relate to having a boss that you couldn't stand. You could relate to a boss with an iron fist. And though it would take a while for McMahon to fully swing into the character, the completed walk and talk and you're fired, that initial, that spark was such a force that everyone watching went, oh God, I, I, I bet my boss feels that way about me. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that uh, we talk about it, Corey. Where's that gray line? Where is that blurred image? And we've talked about it a few times here with some of the stories currently. That too, Dan, I don't know. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I think that's what, to Corey's point, that was the first time, guys, it was kind of like, holy bleep. Wait a minute now. That can't be real. Is that real? Hey, did you guys see that? Hey, call the hotline to Graves' point. See what the guys are, are saying. It, it was fascinating. Still to this day, fascinating. And that's probably the biggest butterfly effect of this whole thing, if the screw job doesn't happen, is that the Mr. McMahon character doesn't start at least that way. And then Austin, like Austin still rises. Austin still becomes the biggest thing in the company, I think. But without him having McMahon to bounce off of, does it become right. the thing that shifts the Monday Night Wars? Does WWE buy out WCW? Like that is the biggest ripple effect there is the McMahon character being born from that moment. Right. And to your point, Dan, I say no. I don't believe Stone Cold reaches the astronomical heights that he does and become a genuine phenomenon in American pop culture to where people who weren't even wrestling fans knew Stone Cold. They still do to this day. Oh, I haven't watched since the days of Stone Cold. Not because they were even fans. They just knew Stone Cold. But he doesn't reach those heights, in my opinion, without the ultimate bad guy to fight, to rage against, Mr. McMahon. That's the storyline that everyone talked about the next morning. I mean, every Tuesday morning, I remember at school before class, people would be like, yeah, and then he filled his boss's car up with concrete. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, they weren't talking about the matches. These were people that didn't watch wrestling, but they would hear about this crazy redneck that was, like, beating up his boss all the time. <laughs> You, you, it's the moments so you think about that butterfly effect that you use, Dan, with no Austin is the attitude era, the attitude era. Probably not. Do we know who Dwayne Johnson becomes without that moment in time? I even started thinking about Mr. Sacco and, and all these other little things that pop up. Do they happen? Because if Brett stays, I don't think WWE turns this corner into this attitude era, this edginess. Does DX become DX? Is there a new age outlaws? Is there a China? I actually think, Vic, that all eventually does somewhat happen, but I just don't know if it's as effective if the Mr. McMahon character 
doesn't take the strides that he takes after the screw job occurs. So I think we could look at this in two separate ways. So uh, D- Brett stays, they decide to honor his 20 year contract and Brett finishes out effectively his career in WWE. Does Mr. McMahon still happen if that screw job never occurs in that way? Or Brett decides, Hey, I'm still going to leave for WCW, but the, you know, the screw job doesn't take, doesn't take off. And Sean, you know, beats Brett, you know, fair and square, for the WWE championship on that ninth survivor series. And Brett still goes to WCW. We can look at this in two different ways. Does Mr. McMahon still happen in either of those scenarios? Alex, no, I don't, I don't think, it think does. he does. I don't think, I think Mr. McMahon was such a result of a perfect storm where the internet to our previous point was just sort of kind of coming into its own fans now had a lot more access to the business than, than they ever did. I mean, it's nothing compared to what we, we have access to nowadays, but in that time, if you didn't subscribe to a physical newsletter or you wanted some information, I remember there was a particular magazine I used to read. My dad would pick it up at certain supermarkets because you could only find it one, you know, in one of about five places nearby. And it would actually utilize superstars, real names or explain and just little, I mean, surface level controversy, but I was so fascinated and enamored. And in that point in time, much of our fan base, I think, was kind of craving more more information. They were getting a little more sophisticated, a little more educated, and everybody had their own opinion. But when the, the screw job went down, there was only one clear bad guy. It wasn't even the Mr. McMahon character yet. It was the boss. While we're speculating, what if it's not Vince McMahon that we had known as our TV announcer? What if it's a character that is put in that role? What if all of a sudden they Slaughter. cast... Sergeant Slaughter or, or you know, uh, the guy who would go on to become Isaac Yankum and Kane. And what if he all of a sudden is the, the mysterious CEO of WWE? We don't have Kane. What if somebody else is thrust in that or role? Or Jack Tunney's re- grandson comes in to run the company. This is why Tunney. you're not allowed to speak. <laughs> okay. This is why you ruin everything. You're like my dog pancake. When you're on a good roll, everyone's having a good time. Really, my brain's firing. My tongue is not tripping on itself. And then cue Vic Joseph with nonsensical garbage. So here's the thing. I think even if this moment doesn't create the McMahon character, I think eventually you have to acknowledge him on air as the owner because you're already starting to see that with the rise of the Internet. You see with Pillman saying, I respect you, Booker man, to to Kevin Sullivan. This stuff was happening. ECW is starting to kind of pull back the curtain and do more stuff like this. So it was just a matter of time. I think if it was not the screw job, Vince would have gone into more of an on air owner role. But I think this just launched him into that stratosphere of like evil supervillain from the jump. If you remember, I mentioned back October 21st, 96, which is when Brett kind of comes back after that six month hiatus uh, and uh, announces he's staying with the WWE and that, you know, he doesn't say on TV signs a 20 year contract. But if you read any of the dirt sheets or called the phone numbers, you knew that that, that's what was going on. They're weird. After watching that segment back, uh, you know, Jim Ross is interviewing him in the ring. There are these weird camera cuts where they start showing Mr. McMahon, who is just the commentator at this point in time, his reaction to Brett's statements in the ring about whether he was going to leave or stay, that he was getting offers from WCW. He never mentioned WCW by name, but a rival wrestling promotion is the language he learned. And they start showing Mr. McMahon's reaction to this it's almost as if that even back then they were kind of setting up this to happen at some point. Well, and there's still a lot of people that to this very day swear the whole thing was a storyline. And, and you know what? I honestly don't think we will ever truly know. And I don't want to, because it's fun because we get to speculate about stuff like this. What would have happened? What wouldn't have happened? What else could have happened? It's kind of like, where's Hoffa? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one's ever going to know. Like, it's going to be great speculation. One day, maybe on a deathbed, somebody will write a note and hand it over on, on their final breath. But I don't in, think in our business, ever somebody on their out. deathbed is going to write a note that's complete BS just to work everybody. Yeah, <laughs> just that's to, true. On last behind. rib. Yeah, it was me, Austin. It was me all along. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I want to bring up something and, and kind of take this back for a moment because without the Mr. McMahon character, and we can speculate what we want. I want to go back to the Bruce Pritchard um, thing you brought up, Corey, because I think if, if there is no Mr. McMahon character and WrestleMania that year, I think it just looks different because I think if everything works flowers and rainbows, as Alex is talking about, he signed his 20 year deal and he stayed that being Brett, there's no way that it's not Brett Sean at that WrestleMania at WrestleMania 14. It's, it's not Austin Sean. It's gotta be Brett Sean. But if you don't do Brett Sean, do we get Mike Tyson? Do we and that's get, where I was saying your Mount that, Rushmore moment then doesn't happen and there exactly. is no Mike Tyson and there is no attitude era to the extreme that we thought it to be, bringing it back to the first point that I had brought up. I'm glad you brought that up, Vic, because there are rumors surrounding. Okay, so what happens at WrestleMania 14 in, in early uh, in the spring of 98 if the screw job never happened? Like, was was the plan all along for this epic Sean Steve Austin encounter to take place as the main event of WrestleMania 14? Bruce Pritchard on his show, as we've referenced a few times here, says that was always going to be the case and that this all just kind of exacerbated itself and and moved the timeline up, so to say, because Brett was leaving for WCW. They always that, you know, they, as always are, there are many different things that could occur, but the way he makes it seem like is that Sean versus Austin for the WWE championship at WrestleMania 14 was always where this was going to take us. But I'm fantasy booking and I'm thinking at that moment in time, there's no way that you leave Bret Hart, who would be your biggest star. You just gave a 20 year contract to it. And Corey has brought up the fact of the money situation. There's no way you're paying out that money. And he's not in your main event of your biggest show. And your biggest story would be Brett, Sean, that story continues to move forward. I find it very hard to believe. Now I'll throw this is Austin in that main event. I can't argue. I can't disagree. Maybe it's Austin versus Brett versus Sean at that WrestleMania. I don't know, but I find it hard to believe that Brett wouldn't be factored into the equation at WrestleMania 14. And that definitely takes Mike Tyson out of the picture. Just to me. Entirely possible for sure. It's funny to listen to all these, these ideas that we're, we're throwing up here, but the weird thing is Brett actually going to WCW and appearing on WCW television didn't have nearly the butterfly effect that we thought it would on WCW's side of things. If you really look at it, and, and I think Eric Bischoff's talked pretty openly about it, Brett went, obviously, everybody ends up disappointed, and there's no real great memories or moments or, or memorable matches. I'm sure there are a few. Again, I'm not trying to disparage the hitman. It's just on, on surface level, nobody really felt any kind of way. It happened but it didn't have any long-term effects. However, on the other side of things, Brett leaving WWE has uh, created a, a volcano of change. And also a ton of things that uh, we missed out on if he had stayed. Like sure. there were so many, you know, people that he never got to interact with or have matches with or storylines that could have been. Um, I was thinking about one, one of the things I would have loved if he stayed was, imagine we already had Owen Brett at 10 with Owen playing the jealous younger brother. I would love to see, uh, you know, Brett was a heel at the time when he left. And if he keeps becoming this kind of like deluded heel and then Owen gets tired of it and becomes this like righteous fired up baby face. We saw a little bit of that after the screw job when Owen was the black heart and he was getting in Vince's face about the screw job and things like yeah, that. Yeah. I would like to see that dynamic of a baby face Owen versus a heel Brett. 
Uh, that kind of that could have been awesome. Yeah, yeah. These, this is what I'm talking about. Stuff that I never in a million years would have even thought of. And it, it's just to have these conversations. Now I'm thinking of an Owen Brett Iron Man match is like the oh second Iron Man oh, match yeah. that ever oh, happened. Geez. Put that yep. at SummerSlam in '98, or you know, the list goes on, or whatever you want to do. Or, or to continue the uh, to continue the Sean story, imagine you know Sean leaves the way he did, misses most of the Attitude Era, comes back in 2002, does his thing with Hunter, but then he goes into yeah, I'm a changed man, I'm not that old Sean. Imagine Brett being the guy that's like, I don't buy it. You're still that Sean, and then we get a few sure. based on that. Sure. I think anything that would have helped just bring Brett's career to a longer, you know, trajectory so that we had him around a little bit longer to see these kinds of things would be a win. Sure. And and, and nobody, Brett, most of all, expected his career to come to a screeching halt in WCW. The the errant kick takes him out, ends his career. Who knows? Maybe that experiment in WCW lasts a year, two years. Maybe Brett hates it there. Maybe it's just not working. Maybe both sides agree that it's not working. Maybe— Hitman's back in WWE by 98, 99. God knows what could have happened then. One that sticks out to me that I would have loved to see, and this is kind of playing off of what he was doing a little bit, you know, before he left at the screw job, which was that whole Canada versus USA thing that was that was kind of bubbling under the surface with Brett and Sean. Is there any other walk of life other than sports entertainment in the wrestling business where Canada and the United States really can't stand one another? <laughs> is there is there actual beef between maybe, the US and Canada in real in any walk of life? Like have you ever been mad at a Canadian? <laughs> it's it's just crazy to me because it was red hot the the saddle dome the 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 eight man tag when it was the, the heart foundation that was unbelievable canadian it was stampede. Raucous. yeah, yeah canadian, canadian stampede, stampede. Yeah. but my god it was it was this rivalry and it's just brett going my country's better than yours and i'm a hero there and america's like no you suck that's unacceptable yeah. it's like what well, he didn't say he was like running for president he just <laughs> said that his country that he loved was better than ours and to well, point, he did frequently say that the city he was in in America was like the enema, or this is where you would shove it, 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 right. it was Pittsburgh. Thank you very much. <laughs> if, right, yeah. if you were going to give the United States an enema, you'd put the yeah. hose right here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And Alex, yeah. to, your, to your point from uh, Corey, I don't ever recall anyone that went to Canada and was the biggest baby face in the company, but then came right over that border into Butte, Montana, and was getting booed out of the building yeah. no matter where he went. I mean, it was wild to think what that character could have evolved into. Well, and that's kind of why the screw job itself was so crazy because all of this went down in Montreal in Canada where Brett was over huge. Right. But but I'm thinking like, okay, so Brett stays or maybe like you said, Corey, the WCW experiment doesn't work and Brett comes back a little bit later and we get another run of Brett Hart in WWE. I keep going to Kurt Angle. Yep. I keep thinking like, okay, this you, we can pick up this you know USA-Canada oh. style feud again in a different way, but you're going to get... Kurt and Brett in a match we've never seen, we never will be able to see, but what that could have been like. And we always talk about Kurt in a way like he was so impressive picking up the business so fast. Imagine how much, what that would have done to his career if he had those early years getting to work with someone like Brett every day. As jaded as I can be about this business, and I've watched way too much of it and get tired of it, I legitimately just got goosebumps hearing you speculate about what if a match between Kurt Angle and Brett Hart were ever possible? My God, man. My God. Bret Hart and Edge. Bret Hart and The Rock. Right. All these things we never got to see. Uh, Bret versus uh, kind of the leveled up, the game version of Triple H. Imagine during that whole uh, McMahon-Helmsley faction. You know, Bret kind of carries out his screwjob frustrations on them. Depending on when Bret comes back, Bret and Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero. 
G3 assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. You can learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. You mentioned a couple of these names. It's actually sending me down another thought path that I had. What does the actual roster look like? How does this not happen? Because it was around this time frame that the, the internet is really starting to catch fire. Everybody's becoming more accessible. It's becoming more accessible to everybody. And fans are educating themselves. Or they're learning. They're watching. They're, there are chat rooms where you can go and discuss things. And all of a sudden, I know speaking personally, all of these wrestling terms that I never knew about or thought about or cared about start being thrown into the lexicon. And this guy's an incredible worker. This guy's a great technical, this whatever phrase that you want to use. Now, all of a sudden, my young mind, I'm starting to look at the business differently. And I'm seeing it a lot around this time where how does WWE let the best technical wrestler in the world go? And people start speculating, much like we're doing right now. I would love to see Brett and Ric Flair again in WCW. And all of a sudden, you're going, oh, man, all these people like Brett, but for a different reason than I ever did. I just liked him because he was the hitman. I thought he was just the coolest guy on TV. He looked cool. He was a great wrestler. But I was never one going, oh, my God, he's such a technician, and he can have a good match with anybody. But now I'm learning this. I'm hearing these things from God knows who on the Internet but now I'm looking at things from a, a slightly different perspective than just, oh, I want to cheer for this guy. I want to boo this guy. I'm looking at it going, hmm, this matchup would be fun. Man, Kurt Angle versus Bret Hart. You know what I'm saying? So, so that all is, is changing. And people are starting to take note of people who are technicians, who are maybe no longer giants. Because historically, WWE for the longest time, back to our conversation a few weeks ago, Vic, was the land of giants. Everybody was 6'6", 6'8", 300 pounds. Very few guys could move or work like a Shawn Michaels or a Bret Hart. They were sort of the exception, not the rule. In the wake of all this, all the interest that it generated, people are now looking, maybe they're, they're not diehard fans. Maybe they're just, you know, uh, outliers. And they, they, they look at WWE or WCW once in a while. Now you've got people who ordinarily wouldn't have had access to the business now take interest in the business, now have a passion for the business. I'm a kid at 14 years old in high school, was able to find a local wrestling school. My dad paid money and I went. That would have never happened before the internet, before all of this, the business was blown wide open. Now all of a sudden you've got your Daniel Bryan, you've got your smaller guys because they're appreciated as technicians. Eddie Guerrero stands out. Eddie was an amazing character, but was never known for his physique or his, his size but it allowed fans to appreciate why Eddie was so magical beyond just, oh, he's a fun character to watch on TV. And I think that can be applied to a ton of guys. Well, I think you could take that tentacle here and run it off and think of NXT right, right. now. Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, the list goes on and on. Kushida, Santos Escobar, and you just keep having this list go. And it's, it's when you were saying, and I started thinking of, we have this perception of Bret Hart. Because of what we saw every week on television, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be for years, 91 to 92 to 94, and the list goes on. And then all of a sudden, to everyone's point, Dan, you brought it up, all of a sudden, some guy creates a website, and he has a guy that works for the company, and he starts using hot buzzwords, technician being one of them, worker being one of them, work rate comes out. And I think it's just the evolution of the fan at that point. And it just, I don't want to use the word smarter, but really it is 
someone started using buzzwords that caught fire. And also you were able to now express maybe what it was that you did love about Bret Hart. Because before this time, I, again, I, and I can only speak for myself, but I had very limited access to, to your point, inside terms. But now I'm looking on the internet and, I, and fans are going, oh, we loved Brett because he was such a, a masterful technician. I don't think that ever would have been said on WWE television, particularly back Probably in the not. time. It would have been like, oh, Bret Hart can have a good match with anybody. That was forbidden. The business was still so much more protected. This podcast does not exist today without, at least in the, in the, the formation that it does. I mean, we have a podcast network and all these amazing documentaries on, on Peacock. And we, we have a documentary department because we're telling the stories behind these moments. But had all of this not happened, had the Montreal Screwjob not happened, do the fans even have a thirst for this knowledge? Definitely not to the ravenous level they do today. It, it was this era that got me so interested in the inner workings of the business that in high school, uh, I, had, I was part of a program where you could do independent study. So three hours a day, I chose the wrestling business and I would get to leave school. I would go interview indie workers. I worked with Harley Race in Missouri. You know, I was working backstage at shows and things like that just because I had this thirst for wanting to know how the business itself worked that almost superseded the storylines and the characters on screen. This was almost more fascinating. And this was the era where that really blew up for so many people. And I think that definitely set the table for the attitude era. And that's all fallout because to your point, almost the exact same, same mindset from me, there's this whole aspect of wrestling. I, I grew up from the time I was three years old. My earliest memories are with my dad watching wrestling. Like that was just what we did. I loved it as much as anybody, but all of a sudden, even at my age and thinking I knew the business, I, you know, I knew everyone's finisher. I knew what hometown everybody's from. I was, I was a surface level wrestling fan, but I was obsessed. Now, all of a sudden, my mind's going, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. What, what else don't I know? And I think it was a whole generation that sort of had that same awakening in the wake of the Montreal Screwjob because it was not only what's happening, it's what else don't I know? Yeah. And it all of a sudden with the internet now, hell, people, you get plenty of misinformation on the internet, but now you've got it at your fingertips. You can look things up. You can go back and find videos of, you know, thing, things you may have heard about or, or sort of mythical, but now everything was at your fingertips. And I think it truly changed the general public as far as fans of this business go. Here's an embarrassing, embarrassing story. Uh, when I was like 14, there's a VHS tape somewhere in Kansas right now. I hope I never find where it's me in front of a camera, dorky 14 year old going, this videotape is for Vince McMahon. I want to show this to you when I'm grown up because I want to work for you. And I want to show you how much I know about the business. Even at 14, I know what kayfabe means. I know what shoot <laughs> means. I, here's a list of move Russian leg sweep, but drop toes. You did the, the Jericho 1004 oh. moves before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> I, I seem real cool. Tape, you're still rifling them off, and that's I how I got the job here. That. I showed him the tape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that gets found real quick. I hope not. Yeah, it really does. It makes you wonder, like, because we're all kind of around the same age. I would say, what, like, you know, mid to late thirties right. about that. So we were all kind of similar in age when this stuff was going on. It makes you wonder how much that generation above us that was fans even understood. Like, did they get the fact that Brett and Sean were different from everybody else? Did they know that, like, they were like. Oh wow, these guys are great characters we like, but man, in the ring they really they See, do I, something different. I don't know. I don't I'll, know if I'll, there's I'll, any different. My dad didn't care. <laughs> yeah, my dad didn't care. He liked Hulk Hogan and the big guys. My dad enjoyed them. My my dad, you know, could appreciate a good match because it was exciting and, and they did some cool moves he's never seen. But as far as the the larger than life, you know, Hogan Warrior era to now have Brett and Sean, I was maturing and growing 
as a human being around the same time that all that was. So it became normal to me. I remembered fondly the days of Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania. I was a little Hulkamaniac, but now I'm like, no, but these are my guys. Those were kind of my dad's guys. These are my guys, Sean and Brett and Stone Cold and the Attitude Era. That that's my time, you know, becoming a fan. So I don't know that it translated to the generation before us. I'm, I'm sure there are exceptions, but as far as like from a fan base, I don't know that it does. And Alex, to your point, back to Graves's thought. Yeah, my dad loved Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, and even now. Undertaker, it's Brock, it's, oh, I mean, they're just so big. I mean, right. I, I can believe that. And it's right. kind of like those conversations of when we were all growing up, we didn't want to say our prayers and take our vitamins and do any of that. We wanted to watch South Park and see Sable and see guys telling sure. them to suck it and middle fingers and guys. That's what we wanted to see because that's what we were growing up into. And it's kind of like my younger siblings now are like, Oh, I can't believe they did that because, you know, my, my sister's still a teenager. Oh, but, but what about this guy? Oh, I really like Xavier Woods and Kofi because they're colorful and it's power and positivity. Just the way it goes. I and mean, it's why all of that stuff connects with us to this day because as human beings, we're maturing. We're teenagers. Now we're, we're into the opposite sex. We're into edgy stuff that could get our parents upset at us. But that was kind of our little, hey, it's on TV. We're getting all this stuff that we want at that age. You've got beautiful women. You've got... Car crashes literally on television. You've got badass guys beating the hell out of each other. Like, what's not to like in, in a testosterone-ridden 13, 14-year-old body? And it's just, I feel like it connected with so many people across the globe. That's because people back then watched because it was, it not because they liked wrestling, not because they were WWE fans. It was like a, a nationwide, worldwide phenomenon where yeah. you didn't have to understand what a wrist lock was or, or why a drop toe hold was effective, but you knew... Stone Cold's going to beat the hell out of somebody tonight. Like, it's crazy. Every gym class, somebody does a, a good thing in kickball, and it's just crotch chops all around, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and that goes back, Graves, to the mindset of, man, I'm growing older as a fan. I want to see some cool stuff. And everyone can relate at that point when you're, like, 14. Like, yeah, you know what? Mr. McMahon's my teacher. Screw my history teacher. I don't like that guy. <laughs> He's not the boss of me. I'm not going to do – and it's all relatable. It and was. I think it, it was just the per as you've said, the perfect storm. It was a rebellion. And it was it was unintentionally or maybe intentionally, but it was well done. It, it was it was a television embodiment of every teen angst you possibly could have had at one time. And it was a perfect storm, which leads me to this, guys. I, I, this is a conversation we could literally have for hours and I'm having a blast doing it. But we have a somewhat limited amount of time. Let me ask you this. Pushing the timeline way, way far ahead. Perhaps the biggest butterfly effect to me as a result of the Montreal Screwjob indirectly, but this is my, my conspiracy theory, the, the overarching result of the Montreal Screwjob led to a more educated, more sophisticated, more passionate fan base. Sometimes incorrectly so, but if they're not as educated as they think they are, you can't tell them that. But what it led to, to me was this new access to the sports entertainment business, and now fans felt they knew better. They were being fed something before, but now they had the ability to go, no, we don't like that. That's not our thing. We don't like that guy. We like that guy. We don't like this. Stop trying to feed us this. We want that. And as the internet grew and people grew as adults and became intelligent and became consumers and are spending their own money, now the internet is, is a sounding board. And now there's a community. And all of these people looking at the same thing that they love for many different reasons, different flavors of ice cream, impossible discussion to have. What's the best thing about pro wrestling? Everybody's got their something. 
But to me, for the first time, the, the pinnacle of all of this fallout was one of my Mount Rushmore moments. WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan winning the world championships in the main event of WrestleMania. To me, that does not happen without Montreal because it doesn't ignite the passion in the fan base of the people that are actually consuming, that are actually buying tickets. The fans straight up raged against WWE. For all intents and purposes, it looked as though we were going in one direction. And the fans united. Never before in history had the fans united on one common goal. Usually it's a great great place to bicker, great place to argue. I'm right, you're wrong, here's why. But everybody went, no, you're right. We don't want what they're going to give us. We want Daniel Bryan. And however they got together, however they voiced their opinion, whether it be online or through social media or, or amongst friends, whatever it took, everybody was unified in saying, uh-uh, we don't like where this is going. We're going to change it. And they changed it. It was so loud and so sustained for so long from the Royal Rumble leading up to it. I mean, everybody, every arena you went in, Daniel, Bryan. It wasn't because anything we were putting on WWE TV. It's because everybody would leave the show and jump online and say, this guy's getting screwed. We're, now they're looking at the business side. Now they're educated enough to be, quote unquote, dangerous. Now we know Daniel Bryan's not in the main event because he's not the best wrestler in the world. We know it's because they like this other guy better. Well, we don't like that other guy better. And it gave fans power that they've never had before. Obviously, Daniel Bryan wins one of my favorite moments in the history of the business. But in my opinion, speculation-wise, I don't think that moment occurs without the Montreal Screwjob all those years earlier. And it's interesting to think because it's hard to argue, but you think about no Yeslemania. What if WWE doesn't buy WCW? What if Brett comes back and you have all these great moments with Edge? And what if it is Kurt Angle and then in Toronto and he does, you won't win my gold medal? Try to beat me in three minutes. And then and Bret Hart comes out and makes his return. It's so cool to think of the butterfly effect of all this. And it's hard to argue with you, Graves, that that doesn't happen. That there is no WrestleMania 30. There might not even be a WrestleMania 30. That's true. I mean, hey, they might not have survived the Attitude Era. Had not that all. That was all a direct result of losing the top star, the crown jewel going to the competition and the whole company going, all right, guys, what do we got? Let's start throwing it against the wall. And luckily a lot of it's stuck. And here we are and we're gainfully employed and uh, the, the business and being is able to talk about it in this hypothetical situation. A lot of the most fascinating stuff in wrestling is when it blurs the line between fantasy and reality. And yeah, you bring up the Daniel Bryan thing. That was a prime example of that. There was, you know, some people call it the reality era that probably starts with like the pipe bomb and then ends with, right. with Daniel Bryan there. Sure. But yeah, I mean, the screw job was really the first example of that. That to me, nothing happens without the screw job just from a fan accessibility standpoint. Because to me, and I can't say I blame them, but you talk to a lot of guys that were around prior to the Attitude Era, they didn't love that. They didn't love putting the business out there for the public to consume and pick apart and learn about. That was our little secret. It was the best kept secret in the entertainment business. And that really, on a general public level, blew the doors wide open. Well, well, and it, it was going so close to the vest for 30 years. And then when his documentaries come out, everyone's watching. He didn't want to give it away. Well, and something like that was going to happen just because the internet was going to happen no matter what. Uh, but so it would have been some sort of thing that blurred the lines and became a big deal. But for it to happen on such a grand stage with two of the biggest stars in the main event of a pay-per-view in such a high profile way, that's what makes the screw job so, you know, incredible, I think. Do you guys think, uh, going back to what you said earlier, Corey, and then we can, I guess, kind of move along here. Do you think if the screw job never happens, does WWE eventually still buy WCW? Does WCW still run into trouble? Surface level? No. 
Because to me, the Montreal screw job happened and it indirectly, unintentionally gave birth to the Attitude Era out of necessity. That's what it was. We are getting our asses kicked week after week after week. We've got to do something. Oh my God, now we're losing the Hitman. What are we going to do? And it became the Wild West. Hey, we're just trying to keep our head afloat. And now everything survives, everything thrives. Next thing you know, the Attitude Era is the hottest thing. Bye-bye WCW. Who knows where we're at? But I think, no, I don't think any of it happens without the screw job. And my final thought on that, Graves, is back to what you thought about WCW when Brett went there. People think that Brett was sent there to destroy WCW from within. Like that was the master plan was <laughs> ah, agent. there for three million to bankrupt them. I mean, it's it's crazy to think all these what ifs and all these scenarios because of that one night in Montreal. I've got all the time in the world for a good conspiracy theory. Unfortunately, we here on ATB are running low on time. Thanks to Alex and Dan for hanging out and joining the conversation. I could honestly continue this for about two or three more hours because to me, there's nothing more fun. The good news is, Vic, we're heading back on the road sooner than later, so I'm going to be able to sit in the car and speculate and rebook the territory on a weekly basis. If you're listening to this, check out WWE.com, all the dates for ticket sales for the events. WWE's back on the road. We're coming home. You don't want to miss it. We will be back next week, but until then, keep filling the mailbag. Hashtag AskATB on social media. Uh, we're going to try to answer some of your questions in the very near future. You can follow at After the Bell on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Find me at WWE Graves. You can find him at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen to ATB for free on Apple Podcasts. Just make sure you smash that little plus button and follow us. And while you're at it, throw us five stars. If you're on Android, ATB is on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, so you never miss an episode. And uh, keep up with all your favorite WWE podcast shows at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. Join this conversation. Vic and I, Dan and Alex, we all want to know what you think. Did you dig it? Did you hate it? Should we do it again with a different subject? Should we continue more of this? Should I fire Vic? I know what I'm voting for, but either way, we have to have an outcome. We hope you enjoyed this very special experimental version of the show, and we will be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3.